Hello, everyone. Welcome. This is the Field Goals Podcast. I am Dana O'Gorman, your host. So we're six weeks in, people. We have gotten through three wins and three losses and shocked a lot of people, I think, um, especially in the NFC West. This season has not been the way many people thought it would be, traditionally in a good way. I suppose there's people out there who thought we might run through everyone, but obviously we're very pleased with the offense and how things are going for the Seattle Seahawks. However, there have been some question marks surrounding the defense until last week. We saw some improvement out of them and some things that hopefully we can look forward to even getting better. I wanted to talk this week about the NFC West. I think after six games, we can get a pretty good idea of where each of the teams sits within the division and how this division is starting to unfold and the Seahawks place in it. So with that in mind, I brought on one of my favorite Twitter followers, and he happens to be my producer at Field Goals, Mookie Alexander. Mookie, how are you? I'm doing well, Dana. Uh, certainly, it's always a good week after the Seahawks win. Even we're, we're, we're late in the week now, but I, I just get that high that it takes a long time for me to come down from. And then I'm just gearing up for this Chargers game, which three weeks ago looked like a guaranteed loss. And, and all of a sudden, it looks like it, even as considerable underdogs, it's a game that I think, man, Seattle can win and get back above 500. Um, it, it's a lot more exciting than I thought it would be the way this season has gone. Still a lot of growing pains, still some annoyances. But I think most fans uh, would be pleased with a lot of how a lot of the things that the Seahawks have done so far, especially within the context of the Wilson trade and the way this offseason went. Uh, all the forecasts, including from national media, about this team basically being in the gutter uh, look to be inaccurate so far. It has been fun. And we're hearing that a lot. We're hearing it from fans. We're hearing it from media that this Seahawks team has been a lot of fun. And I don't know if that's just because of the lowered expectations that we had at the beginning of the season and, you know, the unexpected surprises that we're getting, but it's just fun again. And to be honest with you, this team hasn't been a lot of fun to watch over the last couple of years. So it's been very refreshing to see, to see so many people enjoying the way the Seahawks are playing. Especially, like I said, because there were some low expectations out there, that is for sure. Now, I want to talk with you about the NFC West. Now, for years, I have been crowing that the NFC West was the best division in football. And for a lot of years, it really was. They had the very dominant defense in the Rams. You had San Francisco, who even though every year the injury bug just seems to kind of destroy that team, they still managed to get to the NFC Championship. They got to the Super Bowl a couple years ago. They always managed to be in the thick. And then there was always the promise of the Cardinals. And I say the promise of, because I still don't think we've quite yet had anything deliver on that process, on that promise. And then the Seahawks were always in the mix one way or another. And so it was just so competitive. There was this great meme out there for a while that was rock, paper, scissors. And it was the, the Rams beat the Seahawks, the Seahawks beat the Niners, the Niners beat the Rams. And it was this circle. And that's just how the division always went. And so it kept it super competitive. But this season has looked a little different. And it surprised me. I don't know if it's surprising anyone else about some of the question marks surrounding the NFC West. When, when you look at this division, did you expect there to be one dominant team or... or are you surprised by what you're seeing, what's going on with all these different teams? Yeah, I think the NFC West is a microcosm of the entire NFL season. I mean, there are only nine teams with winning records right now. 
Um, and we're recording this before the Thursday night game, but neither New Orleans nor Arizona is going to be above 500 by the end of this game. Uh, so the NFC West, San Francisco, I still think they're the best team in the division. It's crazy. They got, I think, a plus 33-point differential, and they're 3-3, three and three, and a couple of those losses are to Denver and Chicago. And it's the offense that's killing them. That, that defense is, is outstanding. Now, they're dealing with a ton of injuries now. I think they had eight starters out at one point in the Falcons game. Uh, but the offense can't seem to score consistently. I mean, they only put up 14 against Atlanta. Of course, they only scored 10 against Denver, and they should have won that game. But Garoppolo managed to step out of the end zone and be modern era Dan Arlovsky, I guess. And even that Bears game, the Bears have pretty much no offense for two and a half quarters. And then you get a busted play, a turnover, and they, they're able to win with, with 19 points. So uh, whether it's Trey Lance or Jimmy Garoppolo, a quarterback, and it's going to be Garoppolo the rest of the year, you assume, unless he gets injured too. Uh, San Francisco is, is really walking that tightrope where, much like Denver, they're, they're wasting very good defensive performances by not having an offense that can score consistently. Now, for the Cardinals, the last couple of years, we've been seeing them start fast and then fade. They're starting slowly. So if they fade again, then that means they're going to be picking in the top three. Um, I think some of it is the fact that DeAndre Hopkins has been suspended and he'll be back. Uh, but I'm not a big Cliff Kingsbury fan. I don't like sideways offenses. And the fact that Kyler Murray is, is averaging like five and a half net yards per, per attempt. Um, that's a big waste of Kyler Murray. Now, some of his Murray's playing poorly, but again, that's an offense that's struggling to score and they're dealing with injuries. Hollywood Brown's out for several more weeks with the, that foot injury he suffered in the Seahawks game. And even though they've traded for Robbie Anderson, it, I think a lot of the same problems for Arizona are, are going to persist throughout the year. Like their defense has not been great, but I don't think they're terrible. I think their talent level is, is better than their ranking has suggested. And then the Rams, if you're picking up a theme here, the offenses of these NFC West teams are not impressing except the Seahawks. I mean, the, the Rams have been really up and down. They, they can't run the ball consistently. Stafford's given the ball away a few times, and they're not protecting him. And you can't expect good protection for Matthew Stafford when his entire offensive line is injured. I mean, they just lost note boom for the year. With, a, with an Achilles tendon uh, rupture. So they've got a backup left tackle, probably like a third-string left guard, a fourth-string center. They're, they're probably playing guys off the street literally at right guard and right tackle. I think only Havenstein's the healthy one. So I, I know that Cam Akers is seemingly on the trade block. It's not been working out for him in Los Angeles. And then the receiver position, a historical strength, I think, under Sean McVay. Cooper Cup is still amazing, but... There's a significant drop-off after that because Robert Woods is not there anymore. Allen Robinson has only had a couple of games where he's flashed anything close to what he was in Chicago and Jacksonville. Van Jefferson hasn't even played this year, so Ben Skoranek is basically your, your third option or 2-2 two, two at was a distant fourth. Um, so it, it's been tough sledding for these three NFC West teams in particular that were favored to at least be in the playoff hunt. The Seahawks had no expectations of A, having a good offense, or B, being any good. And instead, Seattle's in the thick of this NFC West race. And for their rivals, their offenses are a main reason why they're sitting at 500. Now, still a lot of season to be played. But last year, the NFC West put in three teams in the playoffs. This year, I, I would struggle to see how they get two in. Because th this is still a very difficult schedule that pretty much everybody still has to play. I mean, San, Francis San Francisco's playing Kansas City this weekend. And that's going to be a very difficult matchup with that many defensive starters out. So they could be below 500 in, in, in next to no time. 
after it looked like, man, this is a Super Bowl caliber team. If, it, if this offense can get going and the defense continues to play on an elite level, now the defense is banged up. So you're asking a lot of the offense that's struggling to score. You know, it, what's fascinating to me is that it is something that you said. You said, so these, you know, defenses and defenses and defenses, but their offenses are all struggling except Seattle's. That is the exact opposite of what we all assumed would happen this year, right? Like we still expected Matt Stafford to be Matt Stafford. Um, we were interested to see what Trey Lance could bring to the table, but of course he was taken out immediately, which was a heartbreaking, I guess, for the San Francisco fans, although they seem very split on that conversation for sure. Um, and then after the um, extensions of both Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray, that expectation got bigger, even though they wrote in his contract that he had to study more, which was hilarious. But, and then of course, he eventually took that out. But I expected these offenses to be more dynamic. I expected there to be a lot more to them especially with the way the Rams played last year. And it just has not been there at all. I think you made a really good point, though, with Matt Stafford and his line. Matt Stafford has been sacked 22 times this season already. He's had six touchdowns, eight interceptions, 22 sacks. That is almost insurmountable for him to. And so there's a lot of people that are railing on Matt Stafford right now. And that's not it. it. It's not Matt. Yes. He's older. Yes. He's had some injuries. Yes. There's been some issues there, but he definitely has been behind the eight ball from the very beginning in that, um, a team, you know, then we have, of course, Bobby Wagner is their number one tackler, but even in their defense, you definitely are seeing some holes and some issues there. I, I think that one thing that has been really interesting to me though, more than anything, uh, about the 49ers is the hot coldness of them that they really seem to just be on fire and be rolling and look fantastic. And then it's like, it stops instantly. I don't know that we've seen that before from Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, we've seen him start and stop because of injury. He's been somewhat consistent. We have to remember once again, people, this is a team that got to the NFC championship. Both of these teams got to the NFC championship last year. Um, God, that was a tough game for a Seahawks fan to watch. None of us wanted to watch that game. But with San Francisco, with the hot and coldness of them, I, I just don't know if there will be enough consistency for them to get over any humps that they may have there and, and the issues that they have there. But I have to tell you my biggest issue, those two teams have been a huge problem they're having all kinds of injuries or in issues, but you can pinpoint why almost with those two teams. I want to talk about Arizona for just a minute because I am baffled by this football team. I don't understand the logic of extending Cliff Kingsbury. I think he should have been fired probably a season or a season and a half ago. I don't understand the extension of Kyler Murray, who's really not given you anything. We've seen these glimpses of him where he is, you know, oh, the kid who can run and he can take off and he's elusive. But there's no passion, no fire there at all. It is baffling to me. So, so far, he's had 1,463 um, passing yards. He's been sacked 13 times, six touchdowns, four interceptions. There is no spark with this kid or the head coach. And I don't understand why both of them are still there, other than the fact that there were no other options at quarterback. I will give Arizona that. I see nothing but negativity coming from the Cardinals. A am I missing something? Am I missing something with Cliff Kingsbury that I, that he is the reason he still has a job? Mookie, you have to explain it to me. I don't get it. Well, uh, it's it certainly the, uh, 
facade of offensive mastermind is, is thoroughly coming off of Cliff. It's Kingsbury's. a facade for sure. It, yes. it is a facade. <laughs> See, I, I, Sean McVay has got a Super Bowl win and he, and he took the Rams to another Super Bowl with Jared Goff as his quarterback. He has earned his genius reputation. Uh, Kyle Shanahan and his utter refusal to put in a good quarterback in his offense. Um, the fact that he's been able to at least still engineer a very good rushing attack more often than not in any running back and seemingly get a hundred yard game there. I think he's a really good offensive mind, even if he is very, very flawed in the way that his offenses tend to struggle when they're playing from a deficit. Kingsbury, his reputation seems off the back of Patrick Mahomes because, you know, in the NFL, it's not been pretty to watch other than the running game transformation. I think in his first year, um, it, it feels like, Again, I said it's a sideways offense. Rondale Moore is a very talented receiver out of Purdue. Not the biggest guy. He's obviously a, a very small receiver, but he's fast. He can move in the open field. And the number of times I've watched Arizona games and Rondale Moore is getting the ball behind the line of scrimmage, I, I mean, that's a waste of his talents. Um, they don't push the ball downfield enough. And I think part of it is personnel because it's take away Hopkins for a moment. You've got Hollywood as an option, but Zach Ertz, not known as the, the greatest deep threat tight end you'll ever see, and certainly not in 2022. A.J. Green, I don't even know how he's still on an NFL roster. Like, great receiver in his prime, but he can't create separation anymore. He's having trouble holding on to the ball. Um, I think this offense is not nearly as talented as it was made out to be. I think that's kind of, kind of a problem. And for the Cardinals, I've noticed that dating back to last year when Hopkins went out with injury, their their, their passing game had a noticeable decline. So, I think it's very telling of Kingsbury. It's damning of him, actually, that losing the number one receiver has largely crushed this offense. I mean, they're, I believe they're three and nine in their last 12. Mm-hmm. And given the way last week's game went, they scored a field goal in the first quarter. Those were their first first quarter points of the season. So the good news is they fixed that problem. The bad news is the offense didn't score another point the rest of the game. Right. Um, so for, for the Cardinals, they are a, a baffling team in the sense that they, it feels like they should be better. I think defensively, they're going to work some things out. They, they've got too many good players. Byron Murphy, Buda Baker for the UW representation. And, of course, um, they've got Zayvon Collins and Isaiah Simmons trying to work things out at linebacker. Pass rush, um, I think they're okay. They finally got the sacks, unfortunately, for Seattle. Uh, but, again, they didn't do a whole lot in that defensive line. J.J. Watts is still one of their anchors, but he's up there in age. I don't know how much more he has left in him. It feels like Arizona's on the precipice of, of needing a rebuild after giving the head coach and the quarterback big contract extension. So um, it's surprising they even gave Cliff a contract extension. At least with Murray, I can understand. I right, mean, there wasn't just, a lot of options when it came yeah. to quarterbacks at the time, so I understood that a little more. Yeah, you don't want to you don't want to just lose a quarterback for nothing or, or, or rely on the fifth year option. He, he's given you some some excitement. Well, not even some. He's given you a good amount of excitement that hasn't been there since Carson Palmer's last really good year. Kingsbury did not earn that contract extension whatsoever because they were in a playoff position two years ago. I think they started out six and three or something like that, and they completely collapsed to eight and eight and missed the playoffs entirely. So to have back-to-back collapses and then start this year two and four, um, I don't think Kingsbury gets fired at the end of this year but because of the money that they already gave him. They don't want to just do what Carolina did and, and pay Matt Rule hundreds of thousands of dollars to not work for them for the next few years but he would be an obvious midseason firing candidate the following season uh, if they miss the playoffs and, and Kingsbury stays on. Yeah, that that team just, ew. I know. They're stuck. They're basically stuck with him for at least another, the rest of the season and, like you said, part of next season. Looking at the NFC West, I know it's hard to predict what will happen. I know that we're only six games through. Um, 
Do you still feel, I, I don't know what your predictions were. If you did predictions at the beginning of the season, I certainly did. And I really predicted the Rams to win this. I actually expected Seattle to come in um, third. I did expect the Cardinals to kind of fall apart. Um, but I knew it was going to be tied between San Francisco and the Rams. It just came down to how Trey Lance played. Well, now that's off the table. And so if you had to look in this, do you still feel like Seattle is in the mix to possibly be in the top two? Or do you think that they, that, as the season goes on, the talent levels will separate a little bit. Well, I'm trying to remember what I did for the prediction. I predicted a Bills-Rams Super Bowl. Oh, okay. That's, that, that's okay. looking terrible. I, I predicted uh, on the one, Bills to win the Super Bowl. Also. Yeah, uh, that's <laughs> looking terrible on one half of it. Yeah. Um, I think I had the Rams and the Eagles in the NFC Championship game, or Rams and Packers, and that's also looking terrible if it was the Packers option. But uh, I think Seattle's still in the mix, but... I believe that they'll have to win the division in order to make the playoffs. Right. Um, because the Giants, even though they're scraping by and they're like in the bottom half of DVOA and football outsiders under five and one, it feels like these close games are going to flip against them at some point. But still, five and one's a great start. Um, the Cowboys at four and two and doing this without Prescott, unless Prescott is worse than Cooper Rush somehow over the next several weeks, they should be in the playoff mix. Eagles will be fine. Uh, so I think of the Rams and the injuries that they're, they're having and the fact that a lot of them are season ending. I think it is distinctly possible they miss the playoffs. I mean, they, they still got the Chargers and the um, and the rest of the AFC West to play. Yeah, in fact, they have the entire AFC West. They haven't played any of those teams yet. So though Denver might be a pretty easy win at this point of the, uh, of the season. Right. Um, they've still got the division games. I mean, after their bye week, they got San Francisco. And for whatever reason, Sean McVay just can't figure out Kyle Shanahan and in regular season play. The, the Niners just seem to play them so well. And that's back to your rock, paper, scissors line uh, from so that true. a few weeks ago. Arizona, if, especially if they lose this uh, Saints game, 2-5, and five, I don't think they can recover from that. Uh, if San Francisco gets some of their guys back, I mean, Bosa sh- should be back pretty soon, if not this weekend. The, the, and Trent Williams, of course, is, is a, a big missing piece on, on that offensive line. He's one of the best left tackles in the game. I think the Niners can turn it around. In other words, don't fall behind. Don't let Garoppolo be in a position where he's got to throw the ball more times than necessary because he's just going to put the ball in harm's way too often. Uh, But off the back of that defense, I think they're still the favorites to win the division. And then you get to the Rams in Seattle probably battling for second. Again, the schedules are not forgiving for for all of these teams. Right. It's a hard year. It's Mm -hmm. a hard year. And for Seattle... Uh, as great as this three and three start has, has felt the three wins are against a two and four Denver team, a one and four Detroit team and a two and four Cardinals team. They have played no teams with a winning record yet. So these next two weeks are going to tell us a lot more. Yeah. I'd say three of the next four weeks because you got the chargers this Sunday, the giants, the week after the Arizona rematch, where we just cross our fingers gives the day after my birthday and my birthday wish is that none of these Seahawks players suffer a catastrophic injury on that cursed field. And then the week after that is the um, the Munich game against Tampa Bay. And even if the Bucs aren't off to a great start, that defense is still very formidable. So if they can at least split that entering the mm. bye week, go f- at five and five, then we can start thinking about, all right, maybe they can improbably make the playoffs with Geno Smith at quarterback. And this, this was something that I think only one field goal staff member predicted. Uh, might have been Frank that, that Seattle – actually, no, he didn't even predict a playoff appearance. <laughs> So that means, uh, yeah, none of us thought the Seahawks would be in the playoff race. But even if they don't make it, I'm just glad that we're talking about them in a meaningful sense in in the way that 
mm-hmm. in the sense that they're going to be playing meaningful football in November. Because if mm-hmm. they were clearly going to be way out of it but before Thanksgiving, this would have been a hard watch the last several weeks of the season. Mm-hmm. But for them to still be developing, still be in the playoff hunt, um, w- which we expect to see, at least with what, you know, predicting the next few weeks and the NFC landscape mm-hmm. as a whole, it's made the season more enjoyable because he gets the, the, the best two outcomes, at least to me, would be seeing the Seahawks in competitive games, seeing the, the young, talented players develop, and now a bonus one, which is I want to keep seeing more Geno Smith. <laughs> right. And who would have thought we would have thought, you know, said that so long ago, mm-hmm. or, you know, just a few weeks ago. It, it's interesting um, to me. I, 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 I only predict the Seahawks to have five wins the entire season, right? Like I didn't expect them to do well. Well, they're already at three. Well, gosh, now I I bumped up to seven and I'm going to be thrilled with seven because that means that every game they might be in, it might be in the mix and it'll be a lot of fun to watch. Now, what's something that hasn't been a lot of fun to watch lately, Mookie, although it was better against the Cardinals, is this Seahawks defense. I did a show a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about the offense and how impressive they were and what they've been doing right. And um, the surprises that we were getting at that and the different scheme that you saw and in the different way they're using their players. And at the time, how good Rashad Penny was doing, that's heartbreaking to me that he is out for the rest of the season. But I'm loving what Kenneth Walker is doing. But now I want to look on the other side of the coin just for a minute um, because I don't want to beat a dead horse either. Everyone has talked about how bad the Seahawks defense has been. But this is a trend with Seattle. We have seen this in the past few years where they come in, they start really slow on defense. They're historically bad. I don't know if you remember that just a year or two ago. But and then they manage to flip the script and they get so much better throughout the rest of the season and really start to make an impact. In this last game against Arizona, granted it was Arizona, um, but a division game, so they're always a little tougher, this defense started to look like it was gelling a bit. It started to look like it was figuring out this new scheme from Clint Hurt and Sean Desai, and they were putting these pieces together. So I want to talk about this for just a little bit. What are your impressions so far about um, hurt as the defensive coordinator, any input that Desai has put in. How are you feeling about those two as coaches? Well, so far with Hurts, I think the jury is still out because it, it's it felt to me it feel like feels like it's Pete's defense because that the slow starts are now gone through two coordinators. Tells me that Carroll would be like the, the main culprit, so to speak, for the fact that this has kept it persisting. Now, in 2020, you could have given a lot of defenses excuses because no preseason, COVID year. You know, vaccines hadn't even been available yet. So we didn't have a good read of how these teams would perform. And offense is sort of record highs. So last year, it's still going through a lot of COVID protocols, but a little closer to normalcy. They still started out terribly. This year, COVID protocols largely dropped and they they look like they've never practiced together. Um, So for for Hertz, I I do like that, that they're not constantly dropping. Uh, the best pass rushers in the coverage. Um, you have to do it sometimes, but it feels like it, it's just an annoyance with me. I, I didn't like that Uchenna Nwosu was covering Rondale Moore uh, on Sunday, but that was just one play. That That's a minor complaint. <laughs> um, the first few weeks were undoubtedly rough because not only was a pass rush not getting home, but there were just so many busts in zone defense. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it, I think, can be attributed to the linebackers and secondary seemingly not communicating with each other. Too many blown communications or lack of communication that led to open receivers, guys settling into zones who are just standstill and that there's nobody within five yards of them. 
Um, the tackling has been a, a big problem, and I think that's got to be on both the players and the coaching staff because we saw this in preseason too. Um, and preseason is normally not predictive of how the regular season would go, but Seattle played a lot of starters and, and contributors and the current contributors in the preseason, gave them extended playing time. And the fundamentals, the, the bad tackling that we saw in the preseason continued into the regular season. Now, the Cardinals game, it felt like their most complete game. That even felt like it was their most complete game of the season because they weren't relying on turnovers at the goal lines, you know, stuff that hadn't happened since the 80s. They were being proactive and getting teams in difficult down and distance situations. The defensive line won their matchups against Arizona. Um, Nwosu was, was really good. Daryl Taylor had been in the doghouse, and I think justifiably so with his, his lack of pass rushing success and bad run defense. Um, he, he got going as well. The interior line, Brian Monet, Puna Ford, um, they had their best games. And that's saying something because Al Woods was out. And when Al Woods was out, I, I thought, oh, man, this is going to be an embarrassment. Turned out not to be the case. Now we're seeing Puna Ford more out of defensive end. We're seeing guys put in positions that they're not comfortable with. So maybe that'll still take some time. Um, the, the, only, the biggest disappointment to me beyond the tackling has been the run defense up until last week because Seattle been at least good with that the last couple of years. Even when the pass defense was getting picked on, the run defense was pretty stout. But they were just losing their matchups so easily. And even if people want to downplay Arizona because they were missing so many players on the offensive line and running back, well, the Saints, I'm sorry, the, the, the Lions didn't have DeAndre Swift. They were missing a Pro Bowl guard in Jonah Jackson. They still rushed for over 100 with Jamal Williams. Even uh, the Saints game, they let Taysom Hill and Alvin Kamara both oh, rush for over 100. And that mm-hmm. never happened before in Seahawks franchise history. So just bad, poor gap discipline running themselves out of plays, uh, maybe a little too eager to go after the quarterback that they're just missing assignments. But hopefully the Arizona game was a the start of a turning point for this defense because the last couple of years, yes, they started out terribly and then something just clicked. Mm-hmm. And I, I hope that something can click here with this group um, because I don't think the secondary has actually been that big of a problem. And if that's the case, then you know, kudos to Sean Desai. The only weak link has really been the, the, the safeties, actually, because Quandre Diggs, Love him. Love the trade for him. He's not been at his best this year, both with missing tackles, dropping interceptions, and, and even just his his um, general play has not been that impactful. Right. Um, but Josh Jones has just, whoa, man. I'm, I'm so glad that Ryan Neal is playing over him. Josh Jones, yes. some preseason warriors are preseason warriors for a reason <laughs> because they're playing four stringers. That's and, right. and even at corner, of course, we'd be go last. Michael Jackson, I don't think he's anything special. I think he's just good. He's guy. fine. I always he's think good. of him. He's fine. He's, he's a decent fine. backup. Yeah. But Tariq Willen is, is a revelation. And he could be not just defensive rookie of the year. He keeps us up. He could try and push for defensive player of the year. Um, Sauce Gardner will certainly get more attention because he's playing for a New York team and he's picked in the first round. But what Willen is doing is absolutely phenomenal and something that the Seahawks have badly needed. So uh, to, the front seven for the Seahawks moving forward I think that's got to be where, where games are won and lost. The, I mean, the linebacker situation with Brooks and Barton. Barton noticeably didn't play a lot last weekend. And I think that might have been schematic to stop Arizona. But the way that Barton has struggled the previous two weeks has me thinking that there could be a, a greater shift to, to more dime packages, more more formations where it's really just Brooks on the field as, as your off-ball linebacker. I think Brooks had his best game of the season last week. Um, and then the pass rush, the, the defensive line, if they can generate pressure like they did against Arizona, do it more consistently. They'll have a great opportunity against the Chargers who are missing their left tackle. The right tackle's banged up. 
I assume Corey Lindsley will be back after his food poisoning thing. But if they can start gelling, if Shelby Harris can contribute, if Boye Mafe can be the latest rookie to, to really flash some, some major potential, they can at least be a mediocre defense. Because if they were <laughs> mediocre... That's all we need, if, right? If they, if they were mediocre, they would they would have won the Saints game and they would have won the uh, sorry they won the um, the Falcons game. It is crazy that the offense has only been culpable for one loss, which is the Niners game, but the defense has directly cost them the Atlanta and Detroit game. So uh, if I were to tell you the Seahawks would be three and three, would have gone, man, they must have a top ten defense and an offense <laughs> that's struggling to score. Nope, offense has been offense. scoring pretty well. I think they're second in in, in points scored in the NFC. It's that defense that, that has just been right. rotten. But that, that Cardinals game felt like a, a just a massive sigh of relief because mm-hmm. they've been constantly playing teams that are missing key players and still letting other people have career days. Mm-hmm. And they're going to benefit from, from that again this weekend, I think. Keenan Allen might not play. Josh, excuse me, Josh Palmer in concussion protocol. Uh, so the Chargers could be down to like a practice squad receiver as their second or third option. Um, and Donald Parham is in concussion protocol again, which is what happened last year to him in that scary Thursday night football game. So that's a very banged up Chargers offense. So if there was ever a time for the Seahawks defense to at least get some momentum going, uh, if for whatever momentum is worth in football, uh, this is the time because they're not playing a set of dynamic offenses over the next few weeks. Yeah, it, it's it, it, that was so well put. All of that was so well put. And it's it's true that the Chargers definitely have an injury issue. And as, as we saw in that game that they played last week, there there's opportunity there. Hopefully the defense, I think the biggest thing for me with the defense Mookie is the fact that at least this week we saw that they were capable of it, right? Like I was beginning to wonder if they were capable of, of any of this stuff. And at least we saw that we know that there's something there to build on. And so that was really encouraging. I have said on a couple of other podcasts and on Twitter that I think the loss of Jamal Adams was huge just because I feel like a large part of this defense was structured around the flexibility and the talent of Jamal Adams. It just makes sense. He was going to come back. He was going to be here for a full year. Fluke injury, completely fluke injury, and he's out for the season. And so I know a lot of people aren't thrilled about that trade still. They don't feel like they've gotten their value. I still am a big Jamal Adams supporter. I think that he could make a huge impact on this team if he could ever just be on the damn field. But um, I, I think that in it's my opinion, I was curious if it's your opinion too, that I think that that had a big impact and, and they had to change a lot up after the loss of Adams. Yeah, they definitely did because Adams is so versatile. You can play him as your just typical strong safety. You can play him down in the box. He is phenomenal at, at rushing the quarterback. And I think um, it was a 49ers game where they tried to do a blitz with Josh Jones and they might as well have had 10 players on the field because he not only didn't come remotely close to moving past the, the 49ers offensive line, but I think that was a play where um, uh, Ross Dooley scored on a, on a uh, busted coverage touchdown. Yeah. Adams, different, different situation. You know, w- watching the, the Monday night um, s- slog that was the Broncos and Chargers and seeing Derwin James sack Russell Wilson, it, it looked almost like the same play that Jamal just about sacked Wilson and then got hurt. And I... I didn't mind acquiring Adams. I did very much uh, dislike how much they gave up for him. Mm-hmm. I felt like that was the type of move that if it didn't work, could really be the undoing of Carol and Schneider. Now, seemingly they have redeemed themselves just within this past offseason. And fun fact to everybody, that, uh, that Kobe Bryant pick, 
That is from the Jets fourth rounder in the Jamal Adams trade. See, quit so, complaining, people. No, just kidding. Yes. <laughs> so, so Kobe Bryant is part of this Jamal Adams trade. So the, the story is, is not completely written just yet. If Kobe Bryant really is that dude and he can continue to be uh, a, like another Charles Tuma with the way that he's forcing fumbles, uh, then it won't look as terrible. But um, for, for Jamal Adams, yes, I do feel for him because he didn't have an injury history in New York. And then as soon as he comes to Seattle, he got hurt, you know, for a few weeks in 2020. And that's how we got to see Ryan Neal become a valuable contributor uh, on the defense. But last year, uh, or rather the end of that season, he had the shoulder injury, right? So he needed surgery. I mean, he played through pain and he looked terrible against the Rams in the playoff game. Then he has the uh, shoulder injury again uh, the following year. And now he's got this quad injury. These are serious injuries. And I know he's still very young, but those injuries are just going to pile up. And I don't know if we're ever going to get the best out of him. And the way that if you read read between the lines with Carroll and, and Hertz and, and what they've said, it feels like they intended to make Jamal Adams that that's movable super chess piece that mm-hmm. that would have made this defense a little bit more dynamic in ways that Ryan Neal and, and Josh Jones cannot provide. So uh, it, it it has been a, a negative impact on this defense, undoubtedly, that Adams has been hurt. And the fact that it happened so early, too. Right. I mean, we, we didn't get but a quarter or two quarters of, of Jamal Adams and suddenly the house of cards comes comes crumbling down. So mm-hmm. um, they, they've had to weather the storm and had to adjust on the fly. And maybe that's part of why they, they, they've struggled so much. They, they've got to uh, figure out other plans independent of Adams because of the, you know, the, the benefits of him uh, as a pass rusher and as mm-hmm. a run defender. Like, like he can do a lot of things. Maybe his coverage skills aren't the best, but the other stuff that he does provide should be enough positive value that without it, you know, the Seahawks are, are, are lesser. Without. There was a hole. Yeah, there was a, there was a, there was an, there was a hole in this defense. A- absolutely. And people will argue about that forever and that's fine. <laughs> but that's like, I love that. Um, last thing before we wrap up for today, I want to talk about the, what I'm calling the Legion of Boom influence. And I don't mean with the way that the defense is playing or the way the secondary is playing or anything like that. What I mean is the actual people themselves, Richard Sherman, Cliff Averill, um, Cam Chancellor, you're seeing these players come back and, there can be the whole conversation somewhere else about they are coming back now because Russ is gone. I don't care. I don't care why they're coming back. I'm just glad they're back. But I I find it interesting. And the Seahawks released a clip to um, this week that showed, you know, Pete Carroll talking to Sherman on the field about, hey, this kid, Tariq Woolen, blah, blah, blah. And they were talking. And now we've heard that, you know, Sherman has come um, and he spends time talking with these rookies. And you see that there have been some people talking to Cam and Cliff is there on this. Cliff was, I was in Saint, in New Orleans for the Saints game. Cliff is just down there talking to them while they're warming up, just like he's a coach. Put him on the payroll for this point, for God's sake. But, um, and so I, I want to know if, if you think that that influence they were a very, they were historic defense and I'm a defense lover. And so I love this group more than just about anything, but I just feel like we're starting to have them embrace the fact that they are now the mentors, that they are not the stars, that they're the mentors. Do you think that'll have an impact? I hope it does. Uh, certainly with Woolen, you can see some of the Sherman influence. Woolen is a, he's an elite athlete. He's a better athlete than Sherman. Definitely. Faster. Um, you know, s- similar heights. I, I think Willen's a little bit taller, 
But you can see some of the influence of the way that he he plays aggressively. He is looking for the ball. And these are not cheap interceptions that he's getting. These are not like lucky deflections and he just happens to be on the end of it because there are certainly a few uh, players who can get a lot of interceptions and you realize it, it, they're they're not very good at all, actually. And <laughs> I can certainly recall that from my younger days as a Seahawks fan. I think Brian Russell got signed after he had like eight or nine interceptions a couple of years ago in Minnesota. He was one of the worst players I'd ever seen in a Seahawks uniform. So <laughs> Sherman obviously has had an influence with, with Tariq Woolen. Um, Boye Mafe gets the Cliff Haverhill comparisons. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that'll manifest itself some, some point later down the line. It to- hasn't really happened so far, but I, I, lose, I do like some, in. yeah, we're, we're six games in, but I think that preseason game where he got a strip sack right away, I mean, that looked like Cliff coming off the edge. And Averill, he, he has been like a, a no-drama guy whatsoever. For all the, the turmoil or, or, or soap opera stuff that the Seahawks have had over the years, Averill has not been part of that. His mm-hmm. career ended because of a neck injury. It, it, there was no you know, animosity towards the coaching staff. There's no contract dispute. It was just a, a, an unfortunate ending to a, a great career. Uh, and he's hung around the Seahawks organization for quite some time. And I love that he is mentoring um, Mafe. And I think he was mentoring Daryl Taylor, too. Um, so it's, it's great to see some Seahawks legends like Cam uh, mm-hmm. mentor these younger players because we're seeing through, throughout this season, independent of the win-loss record, we want to see these young players contribute. And the key to the Seahawks' success in the early years was that those draft classes, those players, the best ones, they weren't taking two, three years to get good. They were good right away. So that's what has made this year's class so exciting. Charles Cross and Abe Lucas, I, I hope they're getting advice from Big Walt, at, at least Charles Cross for, for, from left tackle. I think, I think that is, has happened. I, I'm actually. pretty sure yeah. that's the case. Mm-hmm. But watching Charles Cross and Abe Lucas look like competent offensive linemen from day one, that is no small achievement. We, we know how difficult it is for tackles, especially, to, to be good or, or at least to show good play as rookies. And they've been through the gauntlet. They, they've had to play Nick Bosa. And Abe Lucas is, and Cross are both going to deal with Khalil him. Mack this weekend. Mm-hmm. And they're coming off a week where they just played J.J. Watts. And they still, I'm trying to remember who else. Cam Jordan. I mean, yeah. they Cam, Cam Jordan. Yeah. They've, they played um, uh, Bradley Chubb and Randy Gregory on opening day. So it has been a trial by fire thing, but it has worked. And we, we go back to the secondary. Kobe Bryant got picked on on opening day and uh, he got benched pretty much the rest of the night. But other than the penalties, he, he has been a very positive contributor. Uh, we, we've already discussed Tariq Willen and how outstanding he's been. So to see that out of this year's draft class, I think is hugely important for the future of this franchise because the recent draft class, I feel like they've been drafting for like bit part contributors to, to go around the established talent. And that has been part of why they've had little playoff success and the team has kind of looked stale, but this has been like the, the, the freshening up that this team has needed. And it's really something that Pete Carroll and John Schneider have needed. They needed another draft where it looks like they're getting home run swings. They don't need, you know, base hits They they need big home run swings as a means of making this team relevant again. And the fact that it's happening so soon and after this offseason of trading away your best quarterback that the franchise has ever had is hugely encouraging. And it is even better to see that the, the, the players who were part of the previous window of Seahawks Super Bowl dominance or playoff dominance and all the 10-plus win teams and the NFC West titles, it is great to see them stick around mm-hmm. and, and help mentor 
those younger players because uh, I'm hopeful that regardless of what happens with the quarterback situation, whether Gino gets another year or they draft a quarterback and, and have that person be, be the starter down the line, everybody else, if you have those pieces in place, and I was a skeptic of this with Pete and John, whether it was repeatable, if you have the other pieces in place where you're just a good quarterback away, I think that is better than building quarterback and then everything else. Right. It, it is not crazy to me to, to build the rest of the roster to look really good such that you don't need to have some life-changing quarterback. You can even have above-average quarterback play puts your team over the top. Um, but if you take away that quarterback, it doesn't mean that you got the worst roster in the league. That's how I think that Pete and John view roster construction. Yeah, your quarterback should be your last chess piece. It really should. I completely agree with that. If you have everything else in place and can just drop that in, oof. It ruins a lot of quarterbacks, too. I mean, yeah. if you're the number one pick in the draft, normally means you're, you've got one of the worst rosters in the league. Exactly. And some quarterbacks get absolutely ruined. I'd look at Justin Fields in Chicago. Now, it's very possible that independence of that roster Fields isn't any good. But it's hard, but we to, don't assess. Know, right? it's hard to assess that when yeah. he has one of the worst receiving groups in the league and an offensive line that can't block anybody for, for at, at any level of consistency. So if Fields keeps playing like this, they're going to ruin him. And look at David Carr with the Texans. Now, at least that was an expansion franchise, so they're going to be bad by design. But he was talented in college, but he got beat up so much that we never got to see the best of him. So I think what Pete Carroll and John Schneider did at the early iteration of the Seahawks, which is have a top 10 defense already, have an emerging running game with Marshawn Lynch, it provided a nice landing spot, a cushy landing spot for whichever quarterback they were going to take it ended up being Russell Wilson. So I see them trying to replicate it with this team. And it, it's probably not going to be exact. And maybe they no. don't find the next Russell Wilson. But I can see the vision. And as much as I've been harsh on both of them for the last few years and the way that the drafting has gone, this looks like they're going back to the old playbook and, and you know, spinning, spinning the record that, that you know, was, was a platinum hit years ago and, and trying it again. We're all about remakes these days, right? Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I think they're just great. Oh, Mookie, I appreciate your time so much and your knowledge. It is, it is so good just to sit and, and, and chat football with you. I appreciate that so very much. I want to thank everyone for listening this week or listening this week. Um, make sure you hit the subscribe button. So then you will get notified every time there is a new field goals podcast for you to listen to. Thanks everyone. Have a great week. <laughs>